Hello and welcome to In Conversation With, the monthly podcast series brought to you by the team that produced the Global Cosmetics newsfeed. 2023's theme is Circular Cosmetics. This month's topic is Vegan Beauty, and I'm your host, Siobhan Murphy. In previous episodes of this podcast, we have discussed in length the concept of the circular cosmetics industry, mainly in terms of its impact on people and planet. Today, with the help of my panel, we will explore the impact a circular industry could or should have on the animal kingdom. I am so pleased to introduce you to Dr. Julia Baines, Science Policy Manager at PETA, the largest animal rights organization in the world with more than 9 million members and supporters globally. Dr. Carol Treasure, the founder and CEO of Accelerate, a world leading animal free safety testing service for the cosmetic and chemical industry. And a warm welcome to Vic Wood, the founder of greenerbeauty.com, the online vegan retailer. Welcome, everybody. Hi. Hi, everyone. Julia, let's start with you. What are the consumer challenges and where are the opportunities at PETA for circular vegan products? Hello, and thank you very much as well for having me on to your uh, podcast today. So in terms of consumer challenges, I would say one is probably understanding. And that is because there is a lot of jargon around over what is meant by a vegan product and also what might be meant as a cruelty-free product. Because at PETA, there are, these are two different terms. And although they are interlinked, there are very subtle differences. So for us, a vegan product is obviously something that contains no animal-derived ingredients. But to be cruelty-free, a product wouldn't just be vegan in terms of the ingredients it contains, but it would also mean that it's animal-test-free. There hasn't been tested on animals for any kinds of regulatory purposes in order to allow a product onto a market. It's not been tested anywhere in the world or for any research or development purposes. So for us, I think it is making it very clear to people what is meant by these kind of terms so people know what they are actually paying for when they're going to the shops or to the supermarket and looking for products because they want to shop conscientiously. They want to spend wisely with their money. So I would say that is one of the biggest challenges because there is a lot of misunderstanding over that. But in terms of opportunities, I would say it's the huge range of cruelty-free products that are, of course, also vegan that you can now buy that are on the shelf. So Peter US has a database, the Beauty Without Bunnies, which is a global searchable database of more than 6,000 companies and brands now who refuse to test on animals for any reason at all, no testing done uh, in their supply chains at all. And many of those companies on that list are also vegan. So they're truly cruelty-free companies. So the opportunities are there for people to be able to go and shop really conscientiously. And at Accelerate, Carol, what are the consumer challenges for you guys? Well, I would totally echo what Julia has said. I, I definitely agree that there's an issue around 
transparency and understanding. It's incredibly confusing to keep up with such a um, rapidly changing environment in terms of the law, in terms of which logos are available. Um, and as Julia said, you know, the difference between vegan and cruelty free um, may be clear to those who work in the industry. Um, but there's a, a, a lot of widespread misunderstanding, I would say, in the public domain about that. I would also add that logos aren't everything. And I think there is a bit of an obsession with logos like um, the Leaping Bunny and, and others. In my experience of leading a testing lab and working with companies, there are companies out there who don't have the logo for a number of reasons, but they are absolutely committed to progress um, and are not doing any testing on animals. Um, and there are others who do have the logo maybe as a bit of a tick box exercise. Um, so if we're thinking about opportunities, I would just encourage people to kind of look beyond the logo um, find out what companies are doing, what their values are, how they're supporting um, development of new science and technology. Um, look at their history, look at what they're saying. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I do think there's an incredible opportunity there for consumers to actually speak up and have a voice. At the moment in the UK, we know that there's a lot of things going on, which maybe we'll come on to in terms of the legal changes. And I think that um, the public do have that power to make a change through their buying choices um, and through putting pressure on companies to ask, what does this actually mean? What is your policy? Do you have a logo? Do you not have the logo? But let's go beyond that and understand what you're actually doing to drive positive change. And is transparency a challenge at greenerbeauty.com, Vic? Hi, thanks so much for having me on. I think transparency is very difficult when it comes to talking about vegan beauty. Not when it, in terms of greener beauty, we obviously work very hard to ensure that all the products we sell are vegan, are cruelty free and have no animal testing clearance as well. So there's absolutely no animal testing involved at all. But having said that, I am aware of a number of large e-retailers who advertise products as, as vegan. And when you look at the ingredients list, they include things like beeswax, lanolin um, and a number of other ingredients which are not vegan so it's very hard for a consumer to be able to make an educated decision unless they purchase with a brand that is reputable and they know is vegan um, or unless they check all the ingredients themselves which then makes everything quite laborious to check all the ingredients on all the products they're buying so it is very difficult as a consumer to know who to trust. There is so much greenwashing going on, or you could call it vegan washing. People with their plant-based formulas, which still have animal ingredients like beeswax in. So it, it can be very difficult for consumers. And I think transparency or the lack of, generally speaking, in the beauty industry is where there's a massive issue. So where are the opportunities for retailers like yourselves? I think that's a really good question. I think honesty is the answer. I mean, I think we need to own the products we sell. Not everyone wants to buy a vegan product. I totally understand that and I totally respect that. We are a vegan business because I'm a vegan myself and that's where the ethics come from. But I think companies need to be more transparent and more honest about what they're selling. And there are some ingredients people are adding in for, for whatever reason they do. I mean, I personally don't agree with it, but they should be transparent about why they're, they're being added in. 
So Julia, what are the technical challenges and where are the opportunities at PETA for circular vegan products? I think some of the technical challenges are being able to meet various requirements because in order to get a um, cosmetic product onto the market, you do have to meet various testing requirements. And also for those conscientious companies who are looking to enter the circular market, they're also looking for products to be sustainable. And it's a term that is used a lot now in terms of sustainable by design in that companies are needing to think about how long-lasting their products are and what kind of impacts their products might be having on the environment. And in terms then of the ingredients that they are using in the products, in order to get them on the market, they need to be thinking about the regulatory requirements. So that are the various kind of data that they have to provide to show that their products are not having a lasting impact or a negative impact on either the environment or not having a harmful impact on human health. And so, at Peter, really the technical challenges are making sure that all those kinds of requirements are being met by companies without having to resort to testing on animals, because that often is where it comes down to. It's, it's about what kind of data do regulatory agencies like to see, and more often than not, unfortunately, it does tend to be data that is taken from testing on animals. So for us, it's very much about advocating the best possible science, and that is by using non-animal methods. And I know Carol will be able to talk about this far more extensively because this is her bread and butter. And it's a golden opportunity for companies to look at what is the best way in which they can demonstrate the sustainability of their product, but also the kinds of methods they use to make the claims that they wish to make. And so for us, it's very much advocating, go and talk to those people that do the tests, like Accelerate, and talk to them because they're the experts and they know how to get products onto the market that are safe, that are sustainable, and without any animal suffering at all. So Carol, what are the technical challenges and where are the opportunities for you? Well, for us at Accelerate, um, I think it really um, is important to highlight the question, what is truly animal-free testing? We think about um, just a binary question, is it animal testing or non-animal testing? But at Accelerate, we're the only testing company that actually has eradicated all animal-derived components from our test systems. And the vast majority of so-called non-animal testing that's happening around the world still uses animal-derived components in the tests. So they're using things like animal serum, tissue extracts, antibodies, and ultimately animals have still been sacrificed to conduct that so-called non-animal test. It's just that they're not using live animals, they're using animal-derived products to support an in vitro or cell-based system. So when we start to think about vegan product ranges, this is an absolutely critical point that is largely overlooked at the moment. Because when vegan products are tested on non-animal methods, 
often they're still tested using animal-derived products. So for us at Accelerate, it's really important to support that totally cruelty-free, animal product-free testing. And I think it links into an opportunity scientifically because we know that when animal-derived products are used in testing, they kind of cloud the uh, results in a sense that the system is not so relevant to human physiology. And as cell biologists and thinking about human physiology, we want to create the test system that's most relevant to humans. You know, we're using reconstructed human skin, we're using human skin cells in animal product free culture with, with human reagents or a completely defined synthetic system. And that allows us to assess the safety of ingredients or products in a vegan compliant way, but also in a way that is embracing the most up-to-date science and technology. So I think this area around truly vegan testing, how can we really make sure that vegan products are tested in a vegan way? It's an important aspect of both the challenge and the opportunity. And for a vegan retailer, Vic, what are the technical challenges and where are the opportunities for you guys? I think there are so many technical challenges when it comes to working in a vegan and cruelty-free market. And part of it is a lack of, of honesty from the brands. The brands we sell, we have them all sign a contract before we start to ensure that not only is everything they sell cruelty-free, but all the ingredients they've used, and to confirm that if they ever sell out to an animal testing brand, they will also inform us so we can make a decision on whether to continue selling their products. And that is part of the problem because I think lots of people throw around the term cruelty-free. I mean, before I went vegan, I don't know, 15 years ago, I can remember I used to go to my favourite skincare brand in Boots and I'd say to them, you don't test on animals, do you? And they'd always told me the same answer. No, we'd never test on animals. And it was only when I went vegan that I started to research into it deeper and found out they did actually test on animals. And that is part of the problem. A lot of the, the sales girls in the stores, in the shops, at the Boots cosmetic counters don't know the true, honest answer when their brand does actually test on animals. Whether it's in the UK or abroad, they're still testing. Um, and that's part of the issue. The staff don't even know the honest answer. How can the consumer ever expect to understand that? So if we're thinking about the environment, Julia, what are the environmental challenges and where are the opportunities at PETA for circular vegan products? We look at environmental challenges probably in a very different way to what the general consumer might do. We've spoken a little bit about labels already today and you know, obviously labels like organic, clean, green, eco-friendly, even cruelty-free, those kind of labels, there's no legally accepted definition of them. And and so, as Carol was saying earlier, it is absolutely essential that people do their research and that people understand what it is that they're actually buying. But in terms of looking at environmental challenges, the way Peter views that is more in terms of what are the environmental regulatory challenges that companies have to meet again in order to market their products because what a lot of consumers don't realize is that although we have a cosmetics animal testing ban which 
adopts any testing in order to demonstrate health of the users, the people that are using the products, is a lot of people don't realize that for demonstrating environmental safety, so the impact your product might have on the environment, a lot of that testing is done under a chemicals framework. And so the animal testing ban doesn't necessarily apply to the environmental data that is required. And so for us, again, it's talking to companies, making sure they understand this so that if they want to retain and be cruelty free, that they still meet those environmental endpoints without resorting to any kinds of tests on animals. And what are the environmental challenges at Accelerate, Carol? Well, I would just pick up on on Julia's point there about the fact that a lot of testing um, for the environmental endpoints is still being done on animals, not at Accelerate. We don't do that kind of testing. But I think that there's a real opportunity here for the UK testing industry and for the UK regulatory framework to evolve in a way that really supports and funds the development of modern science to assess environmental endpoints. And we're still using very, very old fashioned tests as an industry. There's still the acute toxicity tests being done on fish, which are based on the LD50 tests, which are almost 100 years old now. I mean, can you believe that when you think of all the progress and the new technology that we have, that tests are still being done where they're measuring what dose of a chemical kills 50% of the animals in, in this case, fish. And there just has to be a more scientific way of evaluating how that cosmetic ingredient is going to interact with the human body in everyday and everyday environment in everyday use and also how it's going to interact with animals in the environment and with fish and you certainly don't get that by looking at what dose is going to be lethal to 50% of them we need to apply a much more intelligent measured approach to looking at what happens to all the different organs and how the effects manifest themselves so again, I think there's an opportunity for the UK scientific industry, but those challenges are so embedded into the current regulatory framework that there needs to be a parallel shift in regulation. And I would also just add in a wider context that we must keep in mind that just in the same way that vegan as a term gets mixed up with cruelty free, it also gets mixed up with sustainability in some ways. You know, vegan doesn't necessarily mean sustainable or ethical, and it can be, but we need to, as an industry, think about are the, the crops, for example, that are being grown, um, the plant extracts that are being harvested for vegan products, is that being done in a broadly sustainable way are we respecting the environment and the animals that are in that environment in order to create a vegan cosmetic product so i think there's a lot going on here there's there's companies like lush who are working with local communities around the world and supporting them to um, to generate ingredients in a sustainable way but i just think that's something that we really need to keep in mind that we're not making assumptions and vegan washing as as Vic mentioned earlier. For greenerbeauty.com Vic, what are your environmental challenges in terms of a circular economy? I mean it's very difficult for an e-commerce business to talk about environmentals. Um 
when I set up the business, I was really passionate about making sure that the only impact Greener Beauty had on the planet was a positive one. So obviously, by only selling vegan and cruelty free products, we also focus on only natural products as well. By focusing on those three types of products all combined into one, I do believe that we have a lower carbon footprint than some of the products that are being generated out there. Of course, there is always more that we can do. But in addition to this, we also support a number of charities. So we plant a tree for every order. We plant trees to cover the carbon footprint of every member of staff on the team. We cover trees to cover the carbon footprint of the website. So to date, we've planted uh, just under 20,000 trees since we started. We also support um, a charity in Australia called the Reef Restoration Foundation. We only sell reef safe sunscreens, but 10% of the profits of all the sunscreens we sell go to the Reef Restoration Project. We were doing amazing work to restore uh, the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, which is not that close, obviously, to us in the UK. But obviously, it has a global impact. If we lose the Great Barrier Reef, we are in dire straits and in big trouble. Um, so that's how we try and negate the, the environmental footprint of the business is by, by doing other work and to do the best we can. The packaging we use for shipping out the orders is all plastic free, even down to the, the parcel tape we used is a craft based with vegan glue in it. That is obviously fully recyclable, as is everything else we use. It's, it's a work in progress. I'm sure six months down the line, I might find something else that works better. And we're always looking to improve and, and do the best we can and like I say that at the forefront of my mind is always trying to ensure that greener beauty has a positive effect on the planet. Talking about work in progress Julia what are the regulatory challenges and where are the opportunities at PETA for circular vegan products? That's a really really interesting question and it's it's something we've touched on a little bit already today in terms of regulatory requirements and testing etc and so maybe I'll just spend a little bit of time explaining the situation across the UK for your listeners because many people may be aware some aren't but uh, I did mention earlier that there is an animal test ban for cosmetics and that's a ban that applies for both a finished cosmetic product and as, as well as the ingredients that are contained within those products. And in the UK, there's been a policy ban since 1998. So it's been around for a number of years now. And then across the EU, we've also had that similar ban in place since 2009. And then we have a sales ban on animal tested products and ingredients. And that was fully implemented across the UK and the EU 15 years later. That was in 2013. So that basically the sales ban basically means that companies can't place on the market a product that relies on animal test data to show and demonstrate safety since those bans came into effect. But what a lot of people don't realise is that the European Chemicals Agency, which is the administrator for the EU-wide chemicals regulatory framework, they actually continue to demand new tests on animals for chemicals that are used exclusively as cosmetics ingredients. And they do this under the jurisdiction of the EU chemicals regulation, which is called the REACH regulation. And it's claimed that these tests are needed to demonstrate the safety for workers who manufacture or handle the substances. Yet many of these substances do have a long history of safe use by consumers. They have been handled safely in the factories for years 
And of course, it is very much possible to demonstrate safety without using any animal tests at all. So essentially, we see this kind of chemicals regulatory requirement as a bureaucratic box ticking exercise. And then Brexit happened. And following its exit from the EU, we hoped that the UK would take a stand against this kind of animal testing, because you can't say you have a ban on one hand under a cosmetics regulation, but then still allow ingredients to be tested on animals under a separate chemicals regulation, because it completely undermines the purpose of having a ban in the first place. But unfortunately, the government did confirm a little while back that it was also allowing tests on animals for cosmetics ingredients, which was the equivalent under the equivalent UK chemicals regulation. And there was a case that went to court over this and there was a judicial review about the decision making process behind this particular policy. And that was when it came out during this court case that indeed the government had been granting licenses that still allowed cosmetics ingredients to be tested on animals. And naturally, that caused outrage. And it was only just a week or so ago, it wasn't long ago at all now, that the UK actually did a partial U-turn. It's a good step in the right direction. They have now essentially put in place a licensing ban that would prohibit any testing company from getting a new license to carry out tests on animals for ingredients that are only ever used for cosmetic purposes. Now, I say this is only one step in the right direction because what the government haven't done is recall any licenses that are already currently in effect. So we know there are some licenses ongoing. There are companies that are doing these tests on animals for these what we call exclusive use ingredients. And we also have to remember that the kinds of substances that are used in cosmetics are not used for any other kind of purpose. They wouldn't be used, for example, in paints or household product cleaners. There are multi-use ingredients which are much, much larger in number. And those kind of multi-purpose use ingredients that are used for more than just cosmetics, they can still be tested on animals according to the government policy. So we feel that the regulatory challenges are wide because, one, we need to ensure that, as we spoke about before, environmental toxicity endpoints are only ever covered by using non-animal methods. We need to make sure that all ingredients used in cosmetics only rely on data from non-animal methods. And I think, as Carol mentioned earlier, entirely right to be talking not just about the methods, but also the tests themselves and the components that are used within those tests and moving towards a fully vegan and animal test-free system. So free as well from um, animal-derived components. We recognise it's a big hurdle to overcome, but it is one that can be done. It's one that's already being achieved. And we just need to make sure that those methods are replicated worldwide. Because the marvellous thing about these kind of animal test-free systems to ensure safety is that they can apply to many, many, many different types of substances, not just cosmetics ingredients. So there's huge opportunity to essentially save a lot of animal suffering. And how is this affecting Accelerate, Carol? 
Well, yeah, I mean, uh, thank you, Julia, for outlining what's been a really complex series of uh, developments recently. And, and wow, you know, where, where, do you, where do we start, really, in trying to unravel all the complexity? But I think that, for me, it comes down to a couple of simple points. And probably the most important one for this discussion is that the regulatory system that we currently work under is really designed on old-fashioned science, on obsolete science, and a false assumption that animal tests are actually accurate and effective at predicting human safety. Now, this is a whole other conversation about, you know, the nuances of that, but we know that less than um, 10% of drugs that are tested on animals end up successfully getting to the market. We know that the non-animal methods are now being used and much more predictive about human safety. So it's not just about ethics, it's about embracing better science. I think that we also should keep in mind that there's been a lot of work done to develop next generation risk assessment strategies. And they incorporate things like the cell-based tests that we do at Accelerate with computer-based modeling. And if we can do that next generation risk assessment for consumers, there's no reason why we can't apply those same models for worker safety, for manufacturing workers. And there's no reason why we can't translate those across from humans to the species in the environment for environmental testing. But there's a huge gap in investment. And I think just a couple of figures that I got recently from Cruelty Free International, that the NAMS sector, which is non-animal methods testing sector in the UK, is worth around two and a half billion and yet it receives less than 0.03% of the annual R&D research and development investment. And in my view, in the past, when it was announced that there would be a ban on animal testing for cosmetics, that actually triggered a huge amount of investment from the industry to scramble to try and make sure that alternative methods were available in time and for me, I think that we need something like that now. We need bold steps in terms of regulatory change to set deadlines, to set out our plan to get rid of animal testing and to move to better science and for the government to invest in that. And I see this as a golden opportunity for the UK economy. We want to be a, a scientific superpower. It's a chance for us to lead the world on truly animal-free testing. But the regulatory framework is currently a dinosaur that needs to be overhauled and to reflect modern science. And how clear are the regulatory changes for you, Vic, at greenerbeauty.com? Well, I think one of the, the biggest challenges is the, the China element that we haven't actually discussed at all as yet. Um, but obviously, the the law in China is also changing a lot. And there was a change, I think, about 18 months to two years ago now. It was a legal requirement for all cosmetic, skincare, haircare products to be tested on animals. Now, this has changed. 
but it hasn't changed fully. So there, for some products, there is still a legal requirement to test. So it makes it very difficult. So as far as I'm concerned, any brands that decides to sell in China and they then have to test on animals as part of that law, I don't consider them cruelty free in the UK. Now, people can argue that. But for me and for my customers, the reason they shop with me is because they know that I'm a trustworthy ethical source of products that they know are cruelty free. And if a brand we were selling, and this has happened in the past, where we had a brand that was not selling in China, and then they started to sell in China and had to start testing on animals, we just stopped selling their products. And that that's, that's the hard line I've decided to run the business with. Because I mean, from a personal point of view, I'd be absolutely heartbroken if I used a product that was then t- I knew was tested on animals, because I never want to inflict that level of cruelty on onto an animal that that doesn't deserve it to be perfectly honest um so i think that's that's always a challenge so julia what would progress look like in 12 months i think for peter progress in 12 months would be no more animal suffering and and that would take a lot of changes in the law and internationally as well not just in the uk because we really do need to be looking about the innovative companies who are already using animal test-free systems to ensure safety and the training that they can provide to other areas and to other companies to show them not just how to generate the data, but how to use that data for various risk assessment purposes. So I think there's a lot of training and education that needs to be done. There's a lot of acceptance from different regulatory agencies to learn how to accept that data and to have confidence in that data. There's a lot of confidence building that needs to be done because there's often a lot of communication that goes around that tries to pit a balance between not testing on animals and between human health when that just isn't the case. As Carol was saying earlier, it's not a question of safety. We know that the non-animal methods do provide more predictive data, that they are superior tests, that we can be have greater level of trust in the data that these are providing. The progress in 12 months for us would be no more animal suffering, more education and training for regulatory agencies, more widespread use and harmonization of the different test systems that are in operation and big sweeping changes in laws because we see an animal test ban and once we saw it in the EU as being the gold standard and we found that different countries were adopting a very similar model worldwide. We've seen it in Australia, in Turkey, Israel, Canada, where similar models have been taken. But then there's always these small loopholes where you may still see testing under the chemicals regulations. And so we really need to make sure that the laws that are set clear, no animal testing for any purposes, for anywhere in the world at all. And that's what progress would be. No more animal suffering. And for Accelerate, Carol? Well, again, I, I'd kind of echo what Julia said. And I think that we often as a society and certainly as an industry complicate things by saying, um, okay, well, animal testing will stop when we have perfect solutions. But animal testing is a faulty benchmark. 
it's a fake safety net because it lets us down all the time. We know that the tests are not only old fashioned and, and obsolete, they are not predictive. So for me, progress would be the UK government making a bold statement, taking an opportunity to be that world leader and to say that we will be the first country to stop animal testing. And it is possible. People say that it's not possible. We need it. Well, we know it doesn't work. So I would like to see the UK government being bolder. There's clearly an education piece that's needed for that because a lot of the people that are involved in taking those decisions aren't directly involved day to day in looking at what the opportunities are and the progress that we can make scientifically. So I definitely like to see some big, bold changes. I feel the UK is at a crossroads at the moment and we have a unique opportunity. And just to say on a perhaps on a more specific level, going back to the discussion earlier where Julia was explaining about the licenses that have been given to certain companies over the last few years to conduct animal tests on cosmetics, I would like to see those licenses revoked and to make sure that no animal testing whatsoever takes place for cosmetics in the UK. So that's a specific thing. But yeah, I would really like us to uh, lead the world and take that unique opportunity. And as a vegan retailer, Vic, what does progress look like at greenerbeauty.com? And there are multiple ways for me to answer this question, if I'm honest. I mean, progress in terms of veganism for me, I'd love to see a vegan world where no animals are ever harmed and they're maybe not worshipped, but loved as they should be. As a business owner, I think the vegan beauty market will continue to grow. Um, I just hope that more companies will be more transparent in their operations and their honesty with their customers. For Green and Beauty, we continue to grow strength for strength to have gone through pandemic and a cost of living crisis. And we continue to grow month on month which I think is, is really a blessing in these times. And I think that shows the desire for not only for the vegan and the cruelty-free products, but for a place where customers really feel like they can trust what they're being told. And I think that's what a lot of retailers are missing. It's that customer trust. So I just want to continue to grow that. And with that, I would like to thank my guests, Julia, Carol and Vic, for joining me today and to you for listening. 